Hello, Amanda here. Welcome to Villain and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. Hello, Todd here. <laughs> I'm the author of Tales from Grimgard, an anthology of dark fantasy, and the Grimgard role-playing game, and I had never watched Avatar until now. If you've been following along with us, then you know that we've been going through the episodes of the series two at a time, and today's episode brings us to episodes 14 and 15, The Boiling Rock Parts 1 and 2. Uh, some stats on the episode as we're about to get into it. Um, I'll give the stats on Part 1 and then Part 2. Uh, part one is written by Mei Chan. And correct me if I'm wrong, Amanda, but this is the only writing credit that there is for Mei Chan in the series, right? Yes, for uh, actual head writer credit, yes. She has worked on several of the episodes as just like part of the writing room, but um, mm -hmm. not for her own episode, no. So this is a first. Nice. First and only. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, so hello, hello, and thank you for your contribution. <laughs> it's May Chan. Uh, the episode is directed by Joaquim Dos, uh, Dos Santos. It is animated by Jam Animation, and the episode aired July 16th, 2008. The IMDb rating of The Boiling Rock Part 1 is 8.6 out of 10. Now, part two is written by Joshua Hamilton. Uh, his writing, of course, we're no stranger to. We've seen him uh, do a few episodes here in, in the series. So, um, uh, part two is directed by Ethan Spaulding. It's animated by Moy Animation, and the episode aired July 16th, 2008. The IMDb rating of The Boiling Rock Part 2 is 9.2 out of 10. So can we kind of average this out here between the 8.6 and the 9.2? Can, can I can I whip out my calculator real quick? And let's see. I was about see. to say, go for it, because I, I can't do math. I don't know what that average would be. <laughs> uh, the average is out to a solid 8.9. So Not it's bad. kind of a kind of kind of a kind of a big difference in a way between part one and two i don't know i feel like i want to just run with the average and just consider it that 8.9 because that seems weird to take half of an episode and have more than a half a point difference between them mm -hmm. so yeah we'll just we'll just say that imdb's overall is 8.9 for this one go ahead and take us away with some fun facts all right. Uh, our first fun fact is the design of the prison is a reference to Alcatraz Island, a real world prison, which is nicknamed The Rock. As with the Boiling Rock, Alcatraz boasted a history of no successful escapes, which, okay, I'm just going to question that real quick. Because I could have sworn that I remember BuzzFeed Unsolved doing an episode about some people that I guess escaped from Alcatraz but were never found, so they don't know if they had died, like, on the way from the water, like, in the water to land. Um, but I could have sworn that I had, maybe that was a different prison, but I'm pretty sure it was Alcatraz. So maybe they say no successful escapes because they were never found, like, their bodies? So I don't know. Uh, no, in fact, uh, I recall the same thing when you said it and actually went to go find it. There actually are some, there, there are five prisoners total uh, who are listed as quote-unquote missing and presumed drowned. So 
no one has no one who has ever attempted an escape from Alcatraz has ever been confirmed to be alive and have escaped. Which I mean, I guess is the right. entire point of escaping the highest security prison, you know, in in the United United States of the world. I don't know what you want to say. Um but I mean, if you get out and no one ever finds you, I guess I my book that's a successful escape. <laughs> right? That's kinda of what I was thinking. Like, yeah, I mean, they got out. Even if they died, like they still managed to get out of the prison, but whatever. Um <laughs> imagine imagine that our entire audience is filled with like Alcatraz enthusiasts and like people who just suck down those books and videos about it and they all get into a heated argument on our social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so for our second fun fact, when Sokka enters Suki's cell, the scene is reminiscent of the aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper scene from Star Wars A New Hope, or Star Wars if you want to be a bitchy fanboy about it. <laughs> or Star Wars Episode Four if you want to be yes. new school. Oh, gosh. That is a really, it, it was actually the first thing I thought of when he came in in the armor. That I thought of the exact same thing. Right. Again, Star Wars rearing its head in the show. Um, our third fun fact is that this is the only episode in which Ty Lee is shown unsuccessfully chi-blocking her opponent due to Suki evading and countering her attacks. And I love that. I love because Suki and the Kyoshi Warriors in, um, oh God, it was Off as Lost Days. They encountered, you know, Ozai's angels and were taken down quite quickly by, you know, Suki, or sorry, uh, Ty Lee and Mei and Azula. And I love that Suki took that and she learned it and she used it to make herself a better fighter, you know, being beaten by them. Um, just a great well, little, and she's, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh yeah. And, and we know that Suki is, you know, continuing to adapt and continuing to learn and continuing to hone her skills. Who knows if it's even specifically, you know, to counter those moves, suspecting that she might fight her sometime in the future. But, I mean, we even see Suki practicing her moves in her cell. Mm -hmm. People be like, oh, what a Mary Sue. <laughs> like, you that, that, that's Excuse me, that's Mary Suki. That's right. Um, so, our fourth and final fun fact is that, according to the Avatar extras from this episode, the effects of the cooler cause most firebenders to lose their bending for about a week. Zuko has to be a very powerful firebender in order for the cooler to have no such effect on him, even with his breath of fire technique. And can I just say that I think anybody that watched, that grew up watching this show and was a girl or maybe even a boy would agree with me that Zuko in the cooler with his fire breath was the hottest thing we'd ever see. <laughs> it is so unnecessarily hot. Like, oh my God, it's, I love him so much. So, so, so really saying is your list of ideal traits in your partner is increasingly unrealistic by the day. Like in, enjoys long walks in the forest, chasing you with a lightsaber in his hand, can wave his hand and like knock you unconscious, swooning in his arms as he carries you to his ship. And now in the cold can breathe a fire. Yes. And unscrew and unbolt the cooler. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so hot. Oh, you man. sound like you might need a few minutes in the cooler. <laughs> I do. I do. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. You got me all heated. Um, <laughs> the Fire Nation jokes just keep coming, Amanda. Yes. Um, so what did you think of these, or this two-parter, I guess? 
Well, there's a lot to say about it, it being a two-parter. So, I mean, I guess it, we should start at the end. Like, we, no, no, just kidding. At the beginning, at the beginning, um, where, you know, we see, we see Zuko um, doing his darndest to endear himself to the group. We see him doing what good Zuko, and I see, and I love this, because you can only imagine that he's just sitting there. And if I know Zuko, like you know Zuko, everyone wants to sleep and he's just sitting there, like pounding his knuckles against his temples, being like, what, what, it's so, I'm so bad at being good. What, what did I used to do when I was good? I didn't do anything. I didn't hunt the Avatar. I didn't growl at anyone. I didn't needlessly endanger my men. What did I do? I, I, I didn't sulk. <gasps> I got it. Tea. I served tea. And so he's just like, right. uh, guys, tea, like literally the best tea you've ever had. <laughs> right. And then he tried to tell a joke and he's so bad at it. He doesn't even know the joke. He just tells the punchline. He's so sweet. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm Bush. <laughs> uh, so cute. The best part of it is, is that I love that he's, he's not only like, oh, I know a good joke. He's like, oh, my uncle, here's a joke that my uncle would tell. Like you can see mm. he misses him. How bad he misses yeah. him. That's so sweet. And then I love that, like, even though I I believe it was Katara kind of took the piss out of it um, and made fun of him for not knowing the joke, which, I mean, rightfully so. But he didn't get angry. Like, he actually just kind of smiled. Like, yeah, he's, you know, he just let it brush right off of him. And that's so unlike what he would have done, you know, a season ago or two seasons ago where he would have gotten angry because they were making fun of him. Um, uh, the ability to laugh at yourself is such a healthy sign. It such really a healthy is. personal trait. And there's no way in hell that he would have done that, like I said, a season ago. But it's so nice to see him just being relaxed around them and, you know, just taking a joke. It's so sweet. Um, but uh, yeah, and then Sokka is like all sulky and serious, which he's not usually... So, like, Zuko immediately knows something's up, and he's asking, you know, where would they have taken my dad after the invasion? You know, is there a special prison that they keep war prisoners? And I love that Zuko just doesn't want to tell him because, like, he knows it's a bad bad situation that his dad's and I, probably and I, and, and I love how Sokka tries to like play it off as like just tell me and I'll be okay with it and like Asuka can see just right through it right yeah he's like yeah sure okay <laughs> um, <laughs> and that he's up waiting for him when he like sneaks away <laughs> my Not favorite okay. line my favorite line from the episode has to be where he goes I'm like I'm gonna go look for my dad there are you happy now and he's like I'm never happy <laughs> right that actually it's so funny again this is why these characters work so well together um for so many reasons but one of the main things is that like i love that there's a sort of i don't know it's like a mirror it's like poetry <laughs> um because Sokka says that exact same thing in the first season um i believe it's the waterbending master or no it's one of those uh last episodes of season one um where katara is learning or trying to learn waterbending from Master Paku, and Aang has to be the one to teach her because he won't. And, you know, everybody's happy. Yay! You know, I can teach you what Master Paku teaches me. Everybody wins. And Sokka just says, I'm not happy. And the guitar responds with, you're never happy. So it's just like, I love that kind of back and forth. Um, anyway, but yeah, no, it's, no, it's no, so true. It is really good. I mean, the, the real meat and potatoes of the episode, I mean, you know, there are things to say certainly about 
you know, the, the, the plot of the, of the episode itself, you know, them infiltrating the prison together and, and getting in there under the guise of being guards. And I mean, just as a quick tip of the hat to it, the, the episode is really extremely well written. I mean, you're mm. undertaking, I mean, even as a writer myself, I gotta tell you the whole concept of like how to break out of prison or get into a prison in disguise or under a pretense uh, or with an assumed identity it's hard it's just as hard to write as it would be to execute like it's very mm -hmm. difficult writing how it would work making it believable um creating a, a host of characters inside this particular setting because you need to have human connections they can't be faceless you have to have prisoners who are antagonists or allies you have to have fall men you have to have guards that you wind up befriending and and authority figures that you become acquainted with because the heroes are in disguise and then you have to have you know the, the twists and turns the uh, oh, oh no we've been found out Oh no, we actually haven't been found out, which was one of my, incidentally, one of my my favorite twists in the episode, where they create the lineup of everybody, you know. And I am going to blur the lines between parts one and two. We're just going to discuss yeah. it like it's two, you know, the same thing. But I love where they get the lineup, and the guy's like, you know, D would you know who's the fake guard? He's like, it's this guy, and it's not Sokka. Right. I didn't even I didn't see it coming. I was sure he was going to get out in. I was like. <gasps> Oh, that's a good one. Right. Yeah, no, he's no snitch. <laughs> so, so it's, you know, the, the episode overall, again, the ins and outs of the writing are there. Um, that that they, they take a very difficult thing, like a prison infiltration and prison break and, and like that. Um, and especially prison breaks, because you have to go outside the box in order to accomplish it. Because the whole point of a prison, in theory, is that it keeps people inside. So you right. have to come up with some convoluted way of getting your characters out. So every prison break story that I've ever read or seen in a movie or anything, it's always this, okay, what's going to be the sneaky way that they can get out, you know, and, you know, hats off to some very inventive ideas. Yeah. I, I remember as a kid um, thinking that using the cooler as a boat was like such a smart idea. And I'm really sad that it didn't end up working obviously, but like it was a good first attempt. Um, and I just love the idea of like having such a thing as the cooler to, you know, cool off firebenders if they use firebending, which they're not allowed to in this prison. Um, and I guess, you know, basically making it to where they can't firebend for a week, like that's crazy. Um, but I think it is a very, very in inventive uh way to kind of solve the problem of how are we going to get out but obviously it doesn't work but um yeah that's i i personally i know some people don't like it when characters like think out plans and then execute them but then they don't end up working so they have to do another plan i know some people are like well then that was just a waste of time but i don't feel that way i like seeing that like characters plans fail and then they have to rethink and recoup and, you know, try something new. Because not only is that just way more human and relatable, the failing of the plan, but it also kind of adds to the tension because you're like, oh, this may not work. Like, you know, what what are they going to do? Like, they have to come up with something new. And it just adds, you know, a lot to the experience, I feel like, of watching something like a prison break or a heist movie or whatever, which I'm a big fan of heist and prison breaks. Um, so 
yeah, I, I always love this episode, um, or these two well, episodes, I should say. One of the one of the strengths in having having in the story their first idea not go through, like you said, it creates the tension, uh, kind of similar to the way um, you know, a show or a movie will kill off a character that you didn't expect them to, that you're like, oh, I guess nothing is safe. Where like mm -hmm. you said, if if one of their plans might not work. You know, maybe the second plan isn't going to work or their oh, last resort isn't going to work. And I mean, let's just be honest, like this is Team Avatar. When do any of their plans go the way they're supposed to? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I think it's Suki that says um, in a later episode that you guys lose a lot. You guys <laughs> like, sure yeah. lose a lot. <laughs> they really do. Um, you know, they like they get their fair share of wins, obviously, because they're the good guys. But you know, they're literally just kids. So of course their plans aren't going to work out all the time or they might lose to the enemy or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I like seeing it. I like seeing really smart characters like Zuko and Sokka working together to form plans and to execute them and all that. It's They just work so well off of each other. And we're kind of going back a little bit, but because um, we got to discuss the best line that Zuko's ever said. <laughs> It is my favorite line of his. I'm not saying something because all of his lines are great, but um, when he and Sokka are talking in the war balloon and they're just making awkward small talk and it's just so painful. Um, and they start talking about their <laughs> girlfriends and, you know, Zuko brings up Nay and all that. And mm -hmm. then Sokka just out of nowhere just gloomily says, my first girlfriend turned into the moon. And there's an amazing pause. <laughs> and then Zuko just says, that's rough, buddy. <laughs> it's <laughs> the best line. It's I adore perfect. it. I say that on a daily basis. And I don't know if anybody knows what I'm quoting, but that is like part of my vernacular. That's rough, buddy. <laughs> and the funniest thing is, you know, all the time I've known you, I have known you to say that's rough, buddy. Where it's like, <laughs> if it's a you thing, because I'd, I'd never seen the series. And when he said that line, I was like... That's Amanda's line. <laughs> right? Yes. I love it so much. It's so just applicable to so many things. Um, Their whole body uh, time of the balloon was just was the start of a beautiful friendship. A beautiful, beautiful, awkward friendship. The two of them are so them. good. And their entire interplay, their entire bonding in the episode, the trust that they wind up building with each other and the teamwork they have is, of course, the meat and potatoes of the whole episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. Like, as I was saying in um, our last podcast, this is this is Sokka's field trip with Zuko to, like, really get to trust and, you know, and... I guess, grow a friendship with him. Um, and each member of Team Avatar kind of gets their own time to shine with him. Um, and I just love that because, as I said, I adore these two characters. They're my two favorite characters in the entire show. So just think maybe you doing... suppose there's a little bit of a vicarious thrill, a little bit of like, a, you know, you know, I wish I had my my field trip with Zuko. Uh, yeah, I want my life changing field trip with Zuko. <laughs> just I've, fly I've been away since I was a kid. <laughs> on a flying bison with Zuko. Is this like yeah. is he the goblin king? And, and you're <laughs> Yes. No, it wouldn't be a flying bison. We would fly off on a dragon, obviously. Oh, oh sorry, I didn't mean to spoil <laughs> your your fantasies. Right. Yes. No, I love it. Um and then 
So they get to the prison and they're looking for Hakoda, Sokka's dad. But instead, they come across my girl Suki, who is just the absolute MVP of especially the second episode. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like Suki's yeah, contribution. Yeah, she's literally just, she, she's just Peter Parkering straight up the wall <laughs> at one point. And I'm just like, wow, did they did they teach that to all the Kyoshi warriors? Yeah, I mean, she's had plenty of time. Who knows how long she's probably months she's been in that prison, um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I've said it before. I say again, Suki is the most underrated character in all of Avatar. Um, she's one of my favorites. I absolutely adore her. If I get a dog, that's what I'm going to name it, Suki, most likely. Um, but uh, <laughs> the American American culture, right there. <laughs> I will honor this person by naming my dog after them. <laughs> right. Um, hey, my car's named Damon after House of the Dragon. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> I know somebody um, with a dog named Kylo. I know a wonderful girl who has a dog named Loki. So, like, totally valid. It's definitely the thing. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I absolutely love what they did with her in this episode. And um, her reconnecting with Sokka for the second time since they first met um you know because during the serpent's past they reconnected for you know a couple days and now now they are reconnected and i i gotta tell you in terms of like actual canon couples within avatar Sokka and suki are the best they are just by far the best they they are so they have such amazing chemistry they work so well off of each other they bring out the best in each other and they're just so utterly compatible and they're both hot. So it's like, they're, they're a the power ultimate. couple. They really are. <laughs> they are the power couple. Um, you know, Katang is very cute and Zuko and May is funny. I guess this food was for my crappy girlfriends. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I love how that's the running line, the, 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 the defining line of their relationship. <laughs> this food is for my crappy girlfriend. Yeah. Love it. But, um, yeah, no. So I, I just love seeing the two of them together. And um, yeah, it's it's just really sweet. And then, of course, Hakoda, who's daddy, as we've established. Um, I who, love seeing who are we him. shipping him with? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I love seeing him and Sokka getting a chance to kind of be geniuses together and working on the plan. Um, you know, it's it's very reminiscent of when they first reconnected in season two. And they were trying to figure out, you know, the how to get the Fire Nation ships with the stink and sink or whatever it was called. The, right, the, right. Yeah, the sea mines. So I love seeing two genius water tribe men working together. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, is there anything that else that you need to talk about before we get to the ending? Because that's really what, what this is all leading up to. <laughs> um, I mean, not a lot, just like. I guess a, a, an additional word about, you know, just just Sokka and Sokka and Zuko, because continuing a little bit more than we were saying in the previous episode of the podcast, where we were already talking about uh, Zuko and his relationship with people in the group and how it seemed that Sokka kind of, in a way, warmed up to Zuko and kind of wanted to like him in a way a little mm-hmm. more than all the other members of the group. You know how Aang kind of, Aang was able to be pretty forgiving, but like Aang has to be, 
You know what I mean? It's part of his philosophy. Sokka doesn't have to be forgiving. He could be just as angry as Zuko as Katara, but he's not. He, he, He just chooses, he just chooses not to be. And here we get to see him when, funny I guess this is for me to put it this way, but when no one else is around. He can like Zuko and you take his time and bond with him, not feeling Katara's judgment and anger at him without feeling uh, Aang watching him or that Toph is going to be making smart remarks. Like it's just him and Zuko and they Mm -hmm. can talk guy stuff and talk about their girlfriends up in the balloon. Um, They can work out all their problems together. And what's amazing to me is that when they're operating, and there's a specific scene that I feel like comes to mind more than others, and maybe there's another one that maybe you think illustrates this differently or better, but I like the fact that the two of them are open with each other. And here's Mm -hmm. what I mean. When Sokka first finds out that his dad is not there on the Prisoner Manifest for the prison he's all like defeated and he like puts his head against the wall and he's like this is all for nothing and everything he doesn't try to stay stoic he doesn't hide it you know he doesn't mm-hmm. like hmm, well i guess we'll do it. And, and then is secretly sad he like emotes openly right in front of zuko and everything like he is very quickly relying on zuko both as an emotional confidant and as a partner you know, mm-hmm. right from the get-go, they're working together. He's okay making plans with him. He trusts him. Like, you know, it, it's it, it's kind of, it's, it's refreshing to see that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I do love that scene that you're talking about. Um, and I love that Zuko tries his darndest to make him feel better and find a bright side to it. And, like, he just utterly fails and... I love that Sokka even says, "Yeah, no, what you just said made no sense." Like, <laughs> what do you like, say? Just... It was like, it was like, a, there's a dark side of the cloud and a silvery side, and I think somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think he was saying that, like, to every cloud, there's a light side and a dark side and a silver lining in the middle, and you just gotta like take a bite out of that silver sandwich. <laughs> take a <laughs> bite out of that silver sandwich. Yes. Like Zuko, what? <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I think he's trying to like emote something that his that uh, that his uncle would say, that Iroh would say, yeah. but he just again, just like with the joke at the beginning of the episode, fails utterly to get the message across. And Sokka's just like, uh, yeah, that made no sense, but whatever. You you gotta love though, you gotta love though that as we mentioned not too long ago, um, you know, when Zuko wants to bring out the best of himself or find something good to say, he immediately reflexively just goes back to Iroh. What did mm-hmm. Ira teach him? What would my uncle say? What's a joke my uncle would say to make people laugh? Or what's something inspiring that he would say? And Ira really does represent all of the good in Zuko. He, when he thinks of himself at his best, when he thinks of himself the way he wants to be, he immediately associates his time with Ira. So oh, I, yeah. I just think that that's touching. It is. I love just how much he loves and respects and even now, even... Because in his mind, Iroh is still mad at him. Like, that's the last thing that he saw of him was him, like, refusing to talk to him and turning his back from him. And so that's the last thing that he saw of him. And so to even be thinking, like, oh, no, I still love him and I still think about him all the time. And 
you know, I, I look to him for guidance, even if he can't give it to me like in person, like that just shows how much of an impact Iroh has on Zuko's life and making him a better person. And it's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, no, it really is. It really is. So yeah, I just, the, I have a lot of appreciation for the, the bonding between these two characters. Um, especially again, I think it's, I think it's really special. Uh, it's really special for Sokka having Zuko as part of the group. Um, mm. and I, I gotta say that, you know, I feel like for Sokka and this is just, I'm sure this is nothing that's touched on or explored anywhere and in any way in the series, but my own personal projection on it too, is that remember that Sokka's the plan guy. Sokka's mm. the schedule guy. Sokka's the guy who's responsible for keeping everybody in order and safe. You know, he may not have any special powers that keeps everybody safe, but he has to plan around all these contingencies and have all these things to worry about. And Sokka's the one who's, you know, planning on accounting for their enemies' movements as people are chasing them and, you know, taking stock of who their allies are and who they can depend on. And mm -hmm. he's got to feel really good for Sokka. It's going to be a giant amount of relief. Just a whole part of his brain power that is freed up, not having to worry about Zuko, not right. having to doubt him, not having to look over his shoulder for Zuko. Like, he's finally there instead of off somewhere in the distance following them and after them and springing up at the worst moments. You know, oh, yeah. it's got to be... And now he now he has a, a new ally, a new piece on the chessboard that's one of theirs like it, it almost feels like like Sokka's more at ease with the Zuko around it, you know does you have the same impression oh yeah oh yeah for sure um I love that like they're at a point now where they can fully trust each other to have each other's backs and to as you said be emotional confidants and you know just just doing the right thing together um, and not having to worry about him trying to capture Aang or following them or tracking or whatever. Um, and I think that he realizes that, yeah, having Zuko on their team is a much bigger asset than I think any of them really thought that it would be. Um, and I love that Zuko just is constantly proving that, yeah, I, I've changed and I am here for this team and for you guys. And, you know, I want to do the right thing. I don't want, to be the person I, I used to be. And I think that they're all coming around to that idea. Um, and so it's great. We love, we love the character development for everybody, yeah. not just for Zuko yeah. changing sides, but for them accepting him into their group. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with, with Zuko on their side, the biggest thing they have to worry about coming after them is Azula. Oh yeah. Now we get to the ending. <laughs> <laughs> do you like do you like that segue that big open I door did. There? <laughs> i saw it coming and i was like i like where this is going <laughs> yeah azula showing up is uh it's, it's like it's like the big red button for let's make this complicated <laughs> right it was already hard enough but now this bitch is here oh my god <laughs> i love how she walks into the interrogation room and she's like well of course he's telling the truth you idiot yeah right like that's clearly not the guy you're looking for <laughs> Because I'm a people person. <laughs> you are the <laughs> furthest thing from a people person, Azula. You can read people, but you are not a people person. No, no. Um, I and of course you also have then um, May appearing in the the room to to talk to Zuko to mm -hmm. interrogate him, aka chew him out. Right. Which I mean, honestly, yeah, she's not wrong for doing that. <laughs> 
What he no. did was kind of a dick move. It's the equivalent of breaking up with a long-term girlfriend or boyfriend via text. It's like, you couldn't just like explain. Like, I know it's a weird, I don't know what he could have done differently, honestly, just because it is such a, a heel turn from what he was doing and who he was to now. But like, yeah, that still is a pretty dick move, guys. He really she deserved he really, to get some kind of closure. <laughs> right. I mean, like, it was almost almost not even premeditated. Like, I don't know. Given the circumstances, like you say, what else was he really supposed to do? Go mm. have a long argument with her and then go face the Fire Lord during the eclipse? Like, he's yeah. no. No. Time was kind of against him there. Like, you know. I kind of almost feel like I don't know if this would have been better, but like if he just didn't leave a note, like if he just left, you know, he didn't leave her a note or didn't, you know, confront anybody about it. Like, gentlemen, you heard it here first. If it's choice between the lesser of two evils, don't break up by text, just ghost her. I mean, you never know. <laughs> I'm just saying for this particular instance, it seems like it might have been better if he hadn't left it out and he just disappeared. Because um, that would have made her showing up even touch. That would have made um, her showing up to the prison and confronting him like even more impactful because she would have been like, dude, you didn't even like tell me or leave a note or anything. You just disappeared. And now you're with the avatar. Like it would have been almost more of a shock to her. Um, but I don't know. It, I feel like it could have been more dramatic if he hadn't, but I get why they did what they did. Yeah. But you know, the, the finale, the finale of the whole thing brings us to a tremendous climax as they look to escape then on the, uh, what do you call those things? The cable car, I guess. Gondola gondolas right right the gondolas the the, on the gondolas because then you have azula and and ty lee just just literally running over of course and of course azula has to just straight up jet pack her way over to them yep <laughs> please is there anything this girl can't do she's r2d2 in attack of the clones <laughs> right i love it <laughs> Although it's funny to note because I I believe that at least in Avatar she is the only firebender that we've seen that is able to do the kind of jet propulsion firebending move. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen Zuko or any of the other firebenders do that. So that's like a very high level skill um, to be able to like literally propel or uh, was it propel yourself with fire as if you're flying. Like that's yeah, that's crazy. But well, it's totally well, I mean like. I mean, and it makes sense because, I mean, her fire is different. It's a little unique from just the regular big old orange poofy fireballs that everybody's chucking around. I mean, if mm -hmm. anybody is going to have, like, white, white, hot, like, jet engine flames coming out of their hands and feet, it's, it's definitely her. God, it would be so cool if there actually was a firebender that had white fire. Like, can you imagine how visually amazing that would look? <laughs> like, the yes. blue is gorgeous, especially when compared to, like, the orange-red fire. But, like, white is a whole other level. I, I can tell you that there is no white firebending in Legend of Korra or Avatar. But I want to see it. I feel like it would look gorgeous. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. 
but you know, but uh, but Ty Lee, um, Ty Lee faces off against against Suki, and as you had mentioned in in the fun facts, you know, Suki is ready for it this time. She's been training. Mm-hmm. So this that's... is a rematch I've been waiting for. Hell yeah, that fight <laughs> gets me so hyped. Like the fact that there is a an unbroken shot of about ten seconds of them going at it. And it's so well animated and it just like, it gets me so hyped. I'm like, yes, let's go. <laughs> These bad bitches fighting. I, I love um, when Azula is throwing the fire at Zuko that mm-hmm. he's just like able to like shrug it off, like whatever it is he's doing that he's like blocking it, swatting it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember him doing that in like season two. I don't remember that being a thing. Yeah, no. And that's, Again, that's very subtle, but it just shows how much Zuko has learned and grown in his firebending, especially since meeting the masters, the dragons, Ren and Shaw, um, in, I believe it was the last episode. Um, But yeah, he is now able to fully combat Azula, who he was never able to before. Like he would fight her, but he wasn't able to really match up to her. But now he is. And not only is he, you know, blocking and deflecting her attacks, but he's he's protecting Sokka, which is so sweet. Like, and, you know, he's giving him room to, like, have a swing at Azula with his sword. And I, although I was wondering, where did he hide his sword the whole time? Because I don't think that we saw it up until that point in the episode. So, like, where's the sword been? Um, this is a little thing I noticed. But, uh, yeah, I love that they're kind of taking turns, you know, getting hits in with Azula. Um, and she's, she's not being overwhelmed per se, but she is being kept on her toes, um, by the two of them. And I love that. And yeah. And so the gang has taken the warden of the prison, which is, happens to be May's, uh, uncle. Yeah. Uncle. Um, they've taken him captive so that they won't cut the line, mm-hmm. but they go ahead and try to cut the line anyway because they don't want to ruin their record of you know no yeah, prisoners and they're escaping. like and they're like we know he wouldn't care this guy would rather die maintaining right. the record of the prison like boy this man's a lifer <laughs> they... seriously he's dedicated to his job yeah um, for but sure it's, but it's actually funny because in part one um they actually there's a bit of a red hair not red herring sorry there's a bit of foreshadowing with that because the warden specifically says you know, this prison has a record of no escapes ever. And I would sooner jump in the boiling lake than let that record fall. And exactly. so I'm like, that's great foreshadowing. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. He does not end up falling into the lake, but he'd be willing to do it if that meant that, you know, they would still have the best record of any prison in the Fire Nation. Um, so now, now what happens as part of the escape, I got to tell you, Amanda, for me, I can't think in recent memory. I mean, there's a lot of things that shock and surprise me in the series, like huge things that I'm like hands over my mouth, like <gasps> really mm. that quite like, okay. It's one thing for May to come in and <laughs> bloodlessly mm-hmm. <laughs> pin all the guards back. I was just waiting for some her just straight up murder somebody, any of right. them. Didn't matter who. Didn't have to be on screen. Throw the darts and have somebody like ah, and they're dead. But that never Come happened. Come on, Netflix, so, yeah. let May kill somebody. <laughs> murder. She's right. a bad guy doing bad things to help good people. Um, so like, so like, there she is, and she 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 pins all the guards, and then she frees up. 
what they're using to stop the cables so that they can go ahead and escape and the wire doesn't get cut and then they can leave. And naturally, Azula is not terribly thrilled about this. Right. And so her betrayal is one thing. And I want to make sure I circle back to, to that to talk about it. But the big one that got me was Ty Lee stepping in with the chi block mm -hmm. on Azula. I was like, yep. what? Ultimate, what was it called? Ultimate anime betrayal? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Top 10 anime betrayals. Ty yes. Lee versus Azula. And that just shows just how OP Ty Lee is. Because Azula is arguably one of the most powerful benders in the entire series. And she was able to take her down with two jabs. And that and this was in close like quarter combat like it's kind of incredible um but yeah i when i tell you how shooketh i was when that happened like again like you said may betraying her it's not at all a surprise because may has been shown to not like azula time and time again she gives her like the side glares and you know she doesn't listen to her when she tells her to do something like with the drill um the time... exact moment came to mind yeah. yes yeah, um, so that's not as big of a surprise, but Ty Lee has been like the devout Azula, like Stan, you know, she's like, oh, you're just the most perfect, awesomest, most talented girl in the entire world. Like, and, you know, she she blindly follows uh, Azula and she, you know, she she is her number one person. And so the fact that she would be so willing to, you know, betray her and incapacitate her in order to save May, because this would have been a bloodbath if she had it. Like, they would have just oh, tried yeah. to kill each other, um, which I'm kind of sad that we didn't get to see, honestly, but, <laughs> you know, uh, give me murder avatar. <laughs> I, I, I call just the tiniest bit of BS, by the way, at the, at the end of that scene, where May incapacitates, like, 16 guards all by herself, and then, like, ten guys surround her and Ty Lee, who, may I say, took down almost by themselves all the Kyoshi warriors. And they're like, oh, no, I guess we better surrender. And I'm like, right. you know you could murder all of them in, like, five seconds and escape. But, okay, right. I get it. Like, you because you hit a big emotional moment, and now the thought of fighting is kind of like, eh. Yeah, and may I just say, without spoiling too much, um, this is kind of the beginning of the end for Azula, like in terms of her mental state, because we already know she's crazy. Like she's totally psychotic, but this broke her. Like this is her slow descent into absolute madness that we'll see in the finale. And because these two girls are really the only friends, quote unquote, that she has. They're the only confidants and people that like she cares about to any kind of degree um and now they're her they only both... actual her actual link to the rest of humanity right and so for both of them in the same day at the same time to betray her and just so thoroughly hum humiliate her like that is not good for her psyche at all and you'll see the repercussions of that um so you know yeah it's, you know, it's really it's really important to maintain a strong support group and support system it's good for your mental health and when that falls apart you need to seek help immediately yes Azula, please um <laughs> yeah so it's it's so great to see that um that this you know altercation has real repercussions going forward for the characters um 
And it's just so nice. It's it's kind of therapeutic in a way to see Azula finally for once get owned. <laughs> like she's really never is. lost. Yeah, she's never lost. Um, and even when she did loot, like the only time I can really think of it is in the chase when she's surrounded by all, you know, team avatars, Zuko, Iroh, and she like surrenders, quote unquote, but then she disappears. So it's like she didn't she, but even... she but she like disappears in a puff of smoke. Like right. So like she didn't even really lose. She just managed to get away. Like she slipped out so, between the pages of the script. <laughs> right, exactly. So I love I love to see her lose for once. She desperately needs it. Um, needs but a reality you, check. But you know, there's a there's a really big and important moment though, and I feel like in a way this what I'm about to bring up reaches back all the way from here we are at Azula's betrayal but also reaches all the way back to something that we touched on briefly when we were talking about um, Sokka and Suki as being the power couple. And yeah, there are all sorts of, you know, not, in your own words, you were like, yeah, they're all great. Yeah, they're all great and everything. The canon ones, we all know the non-canon ships are way better. Uh, right. But, but, but to touch on one that you only mentioned in passing, of course, and that is Zuko and May. Because the, there is a quote that I think is absolutely amazing. Because I think there's so much to unpack from it. Where she says, I love Zuko more than I fear you. To Azula, mm -hmm. she says this. And there's just so much there to unpack. But to, to in classic Us fashion, start at the end and go <laughs> back. It's not so much I love him more than... I, you know, our love means more than our friendship means or you know i love him more than i respect you or more than i obey mm -hmm. you whether you saw her as a friend or somebody who you know serves the fire nation by serving azula you know she whether she's a friend or a superior that was never the basis of their relationship you know you called to mind a couple of things you know interactions of Maze from the past that betray the fact that you know there's animosity between her and azula well another one that comes to my mind was sort of a passing you know laugh about some time where she failed her and she was like i don't care she can shoot as much blue fire at me as she wants mm -hmm. and then she's here in her quote to azula she says more than i fear you the driving force of her connection with azula and doing things for her is that she fears her mm -hmm. she may be out and about chasing the avatar because it's fun and interesting and she gets to cause bodily harm to people you know instead of just sitting around being a spoiled rich girl yeah sure that's all good and fine but at the end of the day, the basis of her of her friendship with Azula, why she does stuff for Azula, is because she's motivated to some degree by fear. Absolutely. And, you know, it's and that's why I don't I think it's a bad take to say that May is like a super underdeveloped or boring character. Like, I don't think she is. I think that she's a very subtle character. And, you know, this was obviously an episode where she got to really shine and, you know, in her defiance of Azula. But the defiance has always been there. Like, it's just, again, very subtle, you know, whether it's the, you know, side glances that she gives her, that she's given her multiple times throughout the series, um, or like openly defying her to Ty Lee about, you know, I'm not going to do this. I don't care what she does to me. Like, you know, or even the very first, one of the very first lines that she says to Azula when, you know, they meet up for the first time 
is please tell me you're here to kill me. Like it's, you know, the relationship between them is very interesting. And I kind of wish we had seen more flashbacks of young Azula, May, and Tylee. Cause we saw a little bit in Zuko alone, but like not a ton. Um, but I would have loved to have seen like why these three ended up becoming friends despite Azula clearly being crazy, even at a young age, um, and why they stayed friends for all those years. So yeah, I, I think that it's very interesting. I would, I would almost cast out just out in pure speculation. You know, we saw in, what's the episode again, where they're like at, at the party trying to fit in and Azula is just painfully <laughs> awkward. Yeah. It's the beach, the beach. Right. And and we we see how just socially inept she is. I can't imagine she was any better as a child. And I, I gotta say, I almost feel like the two of them might have even just been kind of stuck together in the same, like, you know, an aristocrat and another aristocrat. Mm -hmm. And there they are. And their families just kind of put them together to play together. And I can imagine her almost just taking pity on Azula and like sticking around her because it's amusing and what's this poor kid gonna do just struggle and may mm -hmm. just you know watch her struggle she's gonna be your friend but i could easily see as time goes on it becoming one of those friendships that does happen where you stay friends with them because you're more scared of the repercussions of if you stopped being friends with them whether they would be enemies with you and tear you down destroy your reputation or actually even actually physically harm you which is like mm -hmm. the most toxic of all or whether you're af afraid for them i'm friends with this person because i'm scared for them if they were ever left to themselves and they need somebody there which mm -hmm. may or may not have been a motivating factor for me i feel like that probably that in particular probably wasn't since she said that she fears her not that she mm -hmm. cares about her or worries about her but it certainly is true boy, that Azula's losing it <laughs> after after their betrayal so yeah all the signs of the toxic friendship there so you know Mae might have felt trapped and felt like well I gotta be friends with her right yeah it's it's very interesting and I think it's very true to like real life friendships like obviously not everybody but like there are certainly you know, toxic friendships. And I was even in one for a, for a time in middle school, which is just the worst time of my life, uh, which Ooh. is probably why I fell into this crowd. It was literally two girls, but um, yeah, they were, I was in, I think sixth or seventh grade and they were both in eighth grades. So they were older girls and they kind of drew me in and I don't like, they were nice at first, of course, because that's how most people that are toxic draw people in. And then they actually did get physically abusive. Like they straight up pushed me over my bike, which had been parked um, in the grass. They pushed me over my bike and I fell. And that was when I was like, that's when I realized that I, I have to stop hanging out with these girls. Like they are literally emotionally abusing me and now physically abusing me. And Yikes. that's not okay. And but I stayed with them for so long up until that. That was the breaking point for me, like being yeah. physically abused. But I took a lot of emotional abuse from them, um, just because I thought, well, no one else is gonna be my friend. So like Aww. it felt yeah, it felt good to be like part of a group, even if that group was really toxic. Um yeah. but uh yeah, so I totally get the mentality that May and Tylee might feel being around Azula. 
Um, yeah. It's, it's very sad that a lot of girls do have that experience, but you know, I'm glad that they broke the cycle and that they got out of there. Cause uh, yeah. Yeah. And now they're in jail forever. Yeah, let's. We're never going to see them again. <laughs> yeah, let's be. We're real happy that they're free of free of Azula, but trapped in prison forever. Um, honestly, they probably would prefer it that way. Yeah, honestly, at least at least with them locked in prison, they're safe from her. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, a lot of big depth there because you know, you know, kind of stepping away from that. You know, she is. She does wind up saving them. And, you know, allowing Zuko uh, to escape with Sokka and everybody else that they, you know, that they rescued. They all get reunited back at the Western Air Temple and it's a happy ending. Except for Katara, who's still mad at Zuko. No, just kidding. Even she is yeah. very, very happy. She, even she's very happy. To, to no, no. You know who's angry? Toph, because they didn't bring her any meat. Like, <laughs> You know what? That is true. That happy ending for everybody except Toph. So... <laughs> That's okay. I'm sure she and Zuko will get her, their fantastic romantic ride on 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 Appa next. I'm sure she's got to be like third or fourth in line. Come on now, right? The unwritten episode of Avatar that I'm dying to see. What would their ship name be? Zoth. Zoth. That's terrible. Zoth. Oh man. Um, Tuco. Tuco. <laughs> oh goodness. So, what would you rank? Well, I guess if you're wanting to do them both together, what would you rank this two-parter? I do want to rank them together. Um, the two-parter is the two. This two-parter is really, really good. Of course, this, we've had a lot of really good things to say. Uh, it has great moments for characters like May. The dynamic between Sokka and Zuko is just you know gold throughout. Uh, great to see Suki. Great to see Hakoda. Um, and it has such a satisfying resolution to the whole thing. Um, I am going to give this episode the two-parter altogether. Um, a 9.1 out of 10. You know, I think I might actually agree. In my opinion, I think part two is better overall, but if we're doing it together, um, I do think that, uh, yeah, literally everything you just said is exactly my thoughts. So no need to repeat, but, uh, yeah, I guess I'll go with a 9.12, not a 9.12, a 9.1 as well. Are we, there we go. <laughs> I thought for a second we were getting really, really detailed to make sure you're like, now Todd. This is not a 9.2. In fact, I would say a 9.1 is not enough. I give this episode a 9.125. Right. Not nine and one eighth. Oh my god. <laughs> this is this is the careful detail that we're giving these episodes as as we're racing toward the finale. Uh, we've only got a couple of episodes left at this point, don't we? Mm-hmm. We've got two episodes and then the four-part finale, and that's it. Yeah. And we will be done with Avatar. We will be. It's crazy. Yeah. No. And uh, and it really, it really, I have to say, I feel like at this point, you know, I feel like I'm starting to lean a little more toward parting comments because, like, this is such a long journey we've been on. And, I mean, like, being so close to the ending, I mean, I do want to take a second, as I have along the way, and... You know, you were the one who had the idea of us doing this podcast of, you know, me watching the show and then us putting this together as a podcast, you know, presentation. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to take a second to thank you again for that. It's a great idea. I this this has enriched my life in so many ways. So <laughs> I'm really I've been having a ball with this every single week. 
Oh, I'm so glad. It would have really sucked if you had it, but I'm so glad that you've taken to it and that you're enjoying it so much because I love every week hearing your thoughts and just getting to talk about the show with you. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we did this. Yeah, me too. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.